0: Bob Bolas will tell
1: you that of all the things he's been able to do throughout his vast career, there's nothing he would rather do than preach the gospel. He's a wonderful man of God and a pastor's friend. I know you will enjoy this message that he preached in 2008 at the Union Bible College camp meeting in Westville, Indiana. He titles this sermon, It's Later Than You Think. You, Brother Whitaker, what a joy to be back to UBC. I feel like I'm home. Whitaker's home, I told Sister Whitaker, I feel like I'm home. Made my way up the steps like I knew where I was going. But it's so good to be here with you again. Somebody at the treatment center, one of my staff, asked me on Friday, they said, Doc, we've noticed a pattern, and uh, I'd like to know if you'd mind giving me an answer to something. I said, well, if I can, I will. And he said, I've noticed that when you go out to preach, I hear different names of places mentioned. Then it's between two and four years and you tell us you're going back. And he said, is there any reason for that? And I didn't know what to say and the only thing I could come up with is, well, I guess it takes them that long to recover after I've been there. (laughs) I sure love the Lord. I have some deep thoughts tonight that have been lingering with me for months now and you know when I gave my heart to the Lord just like you I made up my mind I was his and whenever he wanted to take me he could take me but when I look at my own mortality now it's like Lord there's just so much more to do how will it ever get done if you take me and I'm not around to do it? But for some reason or other, I don't know that the Lord's listening to me. I have appreciated the touch of the Lord. I'm operating on about a half a lung, only half one, and the bottom lobe is deteriorating, the same disease that took the right lung. And I'm amazed at how the Lord helps me. The most difficult thing for me to do is sing. I run out of oxygen real fast. Then the next thing is talking. Now, I think some people were kind of glad to hear that I'd toned down a little bit and some of my messages have become shorter. I didn't like it a bit but I couldn't do anything about it. But I want you to know I'll preach until I run out of wind. And if I'm not done, I'll pick up the next service, all right? Good to be with Brother Pettit. I'm looking forward to working with him and hearing the truth that he'll be preaching. And I just want you to pray for us. I don't know that I can share anything new with you, but I'll share with you the burden from my heart. And then we'll leave it in the Lord's hands. But we'll just trust the Lord to help us together. Thank you, Brother Whitaker, for letting me come back. I love UBC. I trust UBC will never shift from where it's at. Keep it a school to train preachers and missionaries and Christian teachers. We have enough liberal arts schools. I teach at one. What we need are schools that will help boys and girls to get settled in the deep things of God and to know that there's a world that needs Jesus Christ. So don't shift. If I could encourage you, don't shift. You're doing a wonderful job. I don't know. I'm trying to look around and see if there's any students here that I have had. If I've taught you here at UBC, would you stand up? Could I see you? Don't hide. There's some. There's some. Good. Good. Thank you so much. Thank you. I tell them they're at the University of Akron. After I teach them a semester, I never see them again. And I ask him, are you ashamed of me? I mean, do you run when you see me? I never seen this out of 1000s you You'd think I'd run into one of them, but I never run into any of them. Well, thank the Lord. I'm looking for a wonderful week, trusting the Lord, just the showers with his presence. Thank you for being here tonight, and I trust the Lord will just touch your heart. It's probably later than any of us can think or even imagine. The devil's strategy today reminds me a lot of the Vietnam era and the Vietnam war. You really never knew who the enemy was. I had a lot of friends that were were drafted into Vietnam. I was drafted myself and never, never went. Some reason or other after I got drafted they changed my classification. But trouble with the vietnam war there was no front line and it's almost like looking at the church today the world has infiltrated the church until it's honeycombed with unbelief and worldliness and the enemy is all around us behind us beside us and all this talk about joining hands and fitting in together and closing ranks and Marching ahead really overlooks the nature of our conflict. Christians are to be the salt of the earth. We're the permeate society. But the professing church instead is being permeated by the world and we're being molded by the age. Issues are no longer clearly defined, and we're somewhat in a guerrilla warfare. It's almost like terrorists in the church. The traitor in our ranks is more dangerous, I believe, than the enemy that's on the outside or ahead. And there are extremely, these are extremely strange times. And the rules of ordinary procedure just don't seem to cover the situation. No one will deny that this isn't a century of change. Cynic has remarked that nothing is permanent except change. Styles, customs, finances, even gas prices, conditions change overnight. World events jumble each other with barely enough time to happen. Wouldn't you pity the man that had to be a speaker on current events before he finished speaking? Something else would happen to change the whole situation. In such a breathtaking age, men are looking here and there for a point of something that's permanent. Thousands are seeking to escape life's boredom through the modern fads and isms that there are. Someone has said the religion of China is Confucian. The religion of America, though, is Confucian. A church had a sign, and I... Think of it somewhat as our church has a neon sign over the doors, Jesus saves. We had the first three letters burn out on our sign and it read, us saves. Now I thought we better change that pretty quick because it seems like that's what the church has to offer as a remedy: anymore. just come in and we'll handle your problems. Too many churches have come to rely on what they can promote and what they can do and what they can offer. But it's later than you think. We're standing on the threshold tonight of God's judgment. And what will it take to halt the judgment from falling? What's going to happen to us? Well, I want to try to share with you out of Numbers chapter 16. It's later than we think. You young preachers, don't have to ask me if you can use my sermons. If there's anything in them you can use, use them. Take it and run with it. Let me hear it. It might help me. We want to look at the whole context of the Scripture here, the chapter 16, but kind of focusing in on verses 41 through 15. And here's a situation where Korah, the tribe of Levi and three others from the tribe of from uh, Reuben decide that they want to be priests and do like Aaron. And Reuben forfeited that position when he committed his sin and it fell to the tribe of Levi, but these were not of the lineage of Aaron. And they wanted to be priests like Aaron. Verse 9, why Moses tried to tell them that, you know, they were separated from the congregation and God had given them something to do in the tabernacle of the Lord. And um, they got to stand before the congregation and that should have been enough. But it wasn't enough for them. They wanted to be just like Aaron. Now, I want you to notice four different things about this scripture that we're going to look at and considering it's later than you think. First of all, I want you to recognize the opposition. It comes right from within. They were able to get a crowd of 250 officers of the tribes to join in with them and begin to think, you know what, we're not where we should be. We should have something better than what we have. And we're just as holy as Moses and Aaron are and we should be able to have a position like they have. Now Moses and Aaron could have tucked their head or stuck their head in the clouds and acted like there was nothing going on and there was no difficulty and there was no trouble at all. But they recognized the opposition that was there in front of them. Now, they were accused of taking too much on them in verse three. Then they were accused in verse 15 of having taken too much from the people. I thank God as a preacher, I don't have to go around with my hand out to parishioners and take a thing from them. I've had them offer me homes, I don't know what all, they've offered me large sums of money. I can't tell you all the things they've offered, and I've turned it all down. I never wanted somebody pointing their finger at the ministry and saying, they're just an old hireling. I had one elderly lady, my wife and I needed a refrigerator, and she gave us a refrigerator, and I wouldn't accept it, so she had somebody else deliver it to our house. I think that's the only thing that we ever accepted. Too many times there are those that's looking on, just trying to find out if you're just walking with the Lord to see what you can get out of it, to see what you can get from those that are supposedly God's people and always walking around with your hands out. Moses and Aaron weren't doing it. They weren't taking anything from the people other than what God had allowed but they were being accused of taking too much on them. They recognized what they were up against. Let me show you three things right here that God wants us to be careful of when we recognize opposition. The first thing is he doesn't want us just to presume. He doesn't want us to be presumptuous about the work of God or what God can do. We don't want just to presume what the Lord will do. But God wants us to recognize it and look at it and understand that there are times when God calls us to action. God wants us to be able to stand there and say, I know what's going on. I understand what's happening. And it's later than you think. We've been around long enough to understand that the best thing to do in this age is just not confront anybody, is just let it slip under the carpet, just act like it didn't happen, and forget about it. And that way no feathers are ruffled, no nothing gets stirred, nobody brings a split, and we all just keep singing when we all get to heaven. But Moses and Aaron said, we understand We know what's going on. We see through you fellas and this 250 that's come to bring havoc to the work. So God says, and he tells in Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, he lets us know that we're not just to presume about the future. Then he says, don't panic. Don't panic because God says Moses is dead in Joshua chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 1. God is, Moses is dead, but he lets them know, I'm not dead. I'm God and I'm very much alive, so don't panic. He says, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Just march straight ahead and cross over the Jordan. Don't get sidetracked. By everything that there is out there today that the world is trying to camouflage and bring into the church. Don't get sidetracked. Don't move to the left or to the right. And don't panic over recognizing the opposition, but understand that God isn't dead. I liked what S.M. Lockridge said years ago when they, the philosophy was going around that God is dead. He said, it's strange to me that God would be dead. I'm one of the family and I've never even been notified. And I would think that the family members would be notified. So he said, I know God isn't dead. So don't panic when you see what others are trying to do and what the world's trying to bring in and how everything is trying to be whitewashed and camouflaged. Don't panic. And then he says... Don't procrastinate. Don't put off what you're capable of doing. Don't just push aside and hope that tomorrow will be another day. God many times says today, I want you to act. Moses couldn't wait. Moses had to do something immediately. And he recognized the opposition that was there before him. Look at the second thing says don't recoil or recoil at the obtrusion in verses 4, 15, and 45. Look what happened when Moses heard what they were going to do. In verse 4, Moses heard it and look what happened. He fell on his face. In verse 15, And Moses became wroth and said unto the Lord. And in verse 45, When God tells Moses what he's going to do to the whole congregation, Moses falls on his face again. Moses knew their complaint was not against him, but it was really against God because God made the order. God appointed the priesthood. God appointed those that were taking care of the tabernacle and those that were to make the sacrifice and those jobs that were to be done in and out of the tabernacle. The complaint was against God. And Moses recoiled at the intrusion that was there. After the first incident, when God took care of the leaders... And then the 250, God opened up the earth, swallowed the families of those that started. And then God let fire come down out of heaven and handle the others. Do we ever as a people get to the place to where we can no longer blush at what's happening in our world Do we recognize the opposition and the enemy and those that are out to destroy us and get us? Those that are out to bring us down and make us just like them? I would have never thought when I graduated from Bible school in 1968, I would have never dreamed the church world could have possibly gone this far in 40 years. And the man that stood shoulder to shoulder with me and were declaring the same thing sin and wrong and harmful that I was doing and that we were taught was wrong biblically today are saying, why do you find fault with it? Why do you keep preaching on it? Why do you preach against it? Oh, friend, Listen. When you see what people are doing and how they are literally breaking the heart of God and trying to destroy the work of God, do you stand back and kind of recoil in your spirit and think, God, have mercy on us. What's going to happen now if God the Holy Ghost doesn't bring revival to the conservative holiness movement before long? What's going to happen to us? People seem to accept everything anymore never stop the blush nothing caused their spirit to recoil at what they hear or what they see or what's taking place we ought to be recoiling the word of God isn't taken seriously anymore people are just literally living according to what they want to and then when they come across a passage of scripture that they don't want to accept, it's because culture has changed. And don't you know every generation has culture change? You have to change along with it. And the scripture has to be modified so we can fit in and the church can continue to grow. Does that make you recoil? We become overstuffed people with the truth and the gospel. We've made light of the invitation, and yet it seems like our spirits are not troubled. I have a difficult time listening to preachers that don't use scripture. I have a difficult time listening to preachers that preach ideas. I have a difficult time listening to preachers that are taking some thought out of a book. It's saying that God laid this on their heart and they felt like they had to preach it. God has given us the eternal word and he's given us that that will strike the hearts of men and women and stir them to the core of their soul. And yet we say, why use the word of God? All we're doing is being brushed aside in our day to do everything but stay close to the word of God. I recoil. I recoil. Preachers can do about anything and still go to the pulpit and preach. God, spare you young preachers from getting caught up in the things of time and the things of our day until you forget about prayer, you forget about fasting, you forget about study, and you just run to the pulpit and tear something out of a book and run to the pulpit and act like it's a burden of your heart. God takes a burden and lays it bare to the heart and to the soul. And it becomes part of you as you preach it. I listened to a fellow, probably in his late 30s. He said this He was a preacher and not holiness. He said he was visiting some folk on a Sunday afternoon. And he said he sat down to visit with them and they had their television on. And if I remember him right, he said he knows he didn't sit there and watch what was on that TV for two or three minutes. And he said, I felt so convicted. I got up from there. I excused myself, went back to the parsonage, and begged God to forgive me. I felt so dirty to think that I was headed to the pulpit. And I just sat there two or three minutes. I have said, we may have missed a lot of things in our preaching. And we may have been so exuberant to stay, in the, stay on the straight line and the narrow way. and we may, have, uh, we may have gone overboard on a few things. But there's one thing we never miss it on, friend. And that is when we said, set no wicked thing before thine eyes. We never missed it. You can't sit and watch all that garbage. All of it is geared to stir the desires and the urges and the drives of humanity and then to think people will sit, feast on it, and then go to church, go to prayer meeting, and some preachers will try to get up and preach. I recoil in my spirit. I'd rather listen to a man that can't read English and can't talk good English but yet spend time with God. Recognize the opposition. His spirit was turned within him when he knew what he was up against with all the evils of the day yet he touched God and came into the pulpit fresh and had waited on the Lord. Recoil. What's it take to turn your head? What's it take to drop your head? What's it take to grieve your spirit? With all the things... That's going on coming into the church world. The music is sick. I can't believe holiness young people that get married and want country western songs like it's got a message. You say, preacher, you're too old. You're out of touch. I'll tell you what the problem is. I've lived too long, but I'm not out of touch. We want those songs sung when a young couple's coming to the altar and most of that crowd in that country western outfit drinking, drugging, running with other women, other men. And those songs are being sung and we want the blessing of the Lord on that marriage. I recoil at that. I recoil. I was at the hospital back about two years ago. was sitting there in the waiting room waiting on a man that I had taken up was having outpatient surgery and sitting there reading a magazine someone came over and said Dr. Ballus, is that you? And I said yes and uh, it took me just a few seconds I realized well oh he's a, he's a pastor he's uh, out of a not a conservative holiness church but holiness and I tell you the honest truth he stood in front of me with a pair of shorts and a white t-shirt and uh, I said what brings you here? he said uh I've got a couple parishioners here and we're getting ready to go on vacation. I just wanted to run in and see them and pray with them before I left. I recoiled. When I see a preacher in a hospital, I like to see him with a necktie on. I like to see him with a suit coat or, or, or a sport jacket on or a suit on. I like for him to... The, the ministry has been dropped to such a level anymore because of how people want to act and sit in. Parishioners want to fit in. God doesn't want us to fit in. He wants to stand back and he wants us to feel grieved and recoil at what we're seeing and experiencing in our day. Moses recoiled. He fell on his face to think they would challenge God. Wasn't there no fear of God? To think they could take advantage. And scare him and scare Aaron. Moses said, no way. We'll call God to the test. That's exactly what they did. Third thing I call your attention to is they renounced the obsession of these people in verse 5. He spake unto Koran unto all his company, saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his we're renouncing what's happening here. What's going on? We renounce it. Moses announced their actions. Our problem today, we not only tolerate sin, we condone it. We've lived so in a land now where you're not free to speak out. God help us as preachers never to become silent on sin never be wise yes be kind yes be sensitive yes but never condone never condone god expects us to renounce it declare it as sin moses had no problem quickly calling upon God to decide because they said everybody is as holy. We have the same rights that you have to offer sacrifices and be a priest. Moses said, we'll call on God to find out. And he denounced it. Wonder, we just begin to think, Of all that we have tolerated and now condoned. Taking the Lord's name in vain. I I cannot understand how there are people that just... I heard somebody say it's barnyard language. I've heard barnyard language as a boy, and I'm telling you what, it was far from anything Christian. Slang we get as close to cursing as we possibly can. It's like we want a borderline so we can act tough and fit in with the world and fit in with the secularists and fit in with the modernists. It's just getting as close as we can get. God, clean up our tongues. God, help us not to have other gods before him. How many of us have made so many little trinkets of time, gods, that we bring and hug to our bosom or roll as a sweet morsel under our tongue as though we can't live without it? How we've desecrated the Lord's day. Some pastors are talking about closing down church for the summer months. Everybody's saved and sanctified, and yet they're all out in their campers and in their boats out on the lakes, and they're out fishing and they're out hunting, and they're doing everything they can do. And yet we talk about second blessing holiness. And if you say anything, you're radical. how we've desecrated the Lord's day. When I was just young, you didn't work. I I got a job at McDonald's when I was 16 and one of the uh, requirements that I gave to my boss was I would never work on the Lord's day. Now I know there are some occupations. If my lung collapses while I'm up here on this platform Sunday, I hope that there will be a doctor or nurse take care of me. But listen, there are things of occupation that nobody needs to be working in on the Lord's day. But it's because we haven't renounced the obsession that the world has just to get everybody working seven days a week in swing shifts. Not honoring father and mother. I wish my mom and dad were alive. I'm so glad that I can stand here and tell you under God. Oh, and I was growing up, by just like any teenage boy. I tried to see what I could b- get by with, but when my mother showed me how big the switch was and my father convinced me how strong he was, I learned a lesson real fast. I started taking care of them, buying them food, making payments on the house for them, paying utilities. I did anything I could to help lift their load, honoring their father and mother. Are you doing it? As Soon as mom or dad gets sick, the first thing some people think of is get them into the nursing home and let's forget about them. We don't want to have to, we've got too many things to do, too many irons in the fire. We, we are too busy and there's too much to do to have to worry about taking care of sick old people. Put them in the nursing home. Careful how you talk about mom and dad. It says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. We live in such a wicked time. I was reading in the newspaper here a couple weeks ago and I was, I was horrified. And I said to, I said to the to my son's neighbor who was out talking, and I asked him about this. I read in the paper where it was showing some actors and uh, the the, the title of the show on TV is Wife Swapping. Wife Swapping. And the ratings are sky high. Hollywood's always trying to produce something that will draw a crowd and get an audience. And it's amazing the people that will condone it. When I was a young preacher, Brother Van Warmer, he taught our conference president, he told us, I want you to buy a book. Every preacher get to the bookstore and buy it. It was called the Promiscuous Society. Today it's the norm. Immorality is rampant everywhere. And it's just the norm. Accept it. Does it make any difference? Accept the gay movement. It's later than you think. Just last week in California, their Supreme Court, four to three vote. Now, same-sex marriages are okay. They didn't interpret the law. They made the law. That's something George Bush has been trying to tell the country for eight years. The courts are placed there to interpret it, not make it. Well, they made it. And yet, Do we recoil at what we see? Do we recognize what's out there? And yet we say, there's nothing wrong. Listen, God's Word condemns it. God says it's immoral. God says they'll burn in hell. God says they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. God says there's no hope without Jesus. None! And yet we're supposed to get soft on the sins of our day and not renounce it and denounce it. Thou shalt not kill. I remember when the Supreme Court made their ruling Roe versus Wade. I was pastoring in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I thought it would never happen, but it happened. Over 40 million babies dead. What do you think Moses would have done in his day had he known this? Where would Moses be? Hiding somewhere. Saying, well, the country has said it's all right. They have doctors that are educated and they know what to do. No, Moses had been out on the front line. He'd have been screaming and yelling. And he said, we need to call on God. Yes, oh. People don't scream against sin anymore. If you scream against sin, if there's something wrong with you, you're mentally deficient. You're not the kind of person this society needs. You know, ever since I've been voting, since I got old enough to vote, and I had to be 21 to vote, and I've voted every presidential election. But you hear this old sick preacher tonight. I'm not voting for any presidential candidate that condones abortion, that's for gay rights, that's against Israel. I may not get to vote this presidential election, and i 'm a true blue American, and I want to vote, but i 'm not voting for anybody that goes against god 's word in those areas. i 've never done it, and i 'm not going to do it this year. You say you aren 't patriotic, you can 't be a true blue American. I challenge you on any area you want to challenge me when it become, be, talks about when it comes to deciding whether or not i 'm a true blue American. I love America. God's going to take action. This old world's ripe for judgment and all the things that we're allowing to go on in the church and have to keep quiet about it and act like nothing's going to take place. I love the song, God Bless America. Land that I love land that I love, stand beside her and guide her. Now let me ask you something. Are you naive enough in a Bible college, as students, as professors, as educators, as good, sound lay people, are you naive enough to think that God is going to stand by us And God is going to guide us when we want to take His name off of our dollar bills, when we want to take His name out of the Pledge of Allegiance of America, when we want to take His commandments out of the courthouses, and we're not allowed to put up uh, manger scenes anywhere on, on public territory in God's... Do you mean to tell me God is going to stand by us and guide us? How naive do we become? Before finally we realize it's later than we think. God's ready to bring judgment on America. God's not condoning anything. God still has a stench in his nostrils from what's going in the land that we love. Can God bless America like it is? Never. 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 Don't be foolish enough to think it. God can't bless America. And if we get a president in that turns against Israel, there's your answer where where America's at during the tribulation. She's gone. God help us to renounce. Last, in verse 48... Remember the oppressed. Moses fell on his face again. He was so disturbed by what was happening. They'd already seen the instigators. The earth opened up and swallowed them, their families and children, the Bible says. And then fire came down and consumed the 250 that were officers of the tribes that joined in with Kor and the others. One day later, in verse 41 the congregation is murmuring again and they're coming before Moses that you've killed the people of the Lord. We never learn, do we? We never learn. What it took for grandma and grandpa to have revival, it's going to take yet today. What it took for the Wesleys to have revival, it's going to take today. But it took 20 years ago and 40 years ago when I saw Rob French standing on that platform and swinging his arms, pleading and begging God to have a fresh anointing. It's going to take the same thing today. But you have to remember the oppressed. Moses said, Aaron, run, get the incense. On the plate, on the pan. Get quickly and make the atonement, get a sacrifice. God's going to destroy all the people. God had had enough. Isn't it amazing that from the time when Moses is at Mount Sinai and the children of Israel and they get to the Jordan and Joshua tells them we're only three days from Getting everything ready and crossing the Jordan and getting in the promised land. You know, they wandered for 40 years. 40 years. And if my calculations are right, they were only about two weeks away from the promised land. They could have made the journey in about two weeks. And it took them 40 years. And when they get over in the promised land, look at them. They'd forgotten already. they forgot before at Mount Sinai what God had just done at the Red Sea. One day later, these people are murmuring, fussing at God again, telling Moses, you've killed the people of the Lord. We don't like what you've done. You stand against sin and worldliness and the devil, and you're going to have a lot of fingers pointed your way. We don't like what you've done. We don't appreciate your stand. You know what? As kind as I can say. Take it up with God. Don't fuss with me about it anymore than they tried to fuss with Moses. Take it up with God. Aaron, hurry up. Get an atonement. Make a sacrifice. And you know, before he could do it, there was a plague that God sent. We don't really know what the plague was. It was a plague. And Moses, and Aaron moved quickly upon the command of Moses and did everything that he said with the incense on the pan and the coals and getting to the tabernacle and making the atonement. And before he could get it accomplished, Look at what the Bible tells you in verse 49. There were 14,700 people that had already died that quickly, that quickly. They had already died from the time Moses said, Aaron, quickly make an atonement. But listen, verse 48 and Aaron stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. Or they would have all died. So what God's word is telling us here, remember the oppressed. These people were oppressed by those that had snuck in. And those that were trying to turn their heads and their minds. Trying to get them to go against the leaders that God had placed. And before Aaron could enact what Moses asked him, there was already a calamity. You're going to go to bed tonight. You have no idea what's going to happen tonight. And when you wake up and read the paper in the morning, you have no idea what other catastrophes is going to strike this old world. Tsunamis, cyclones, Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, terrible storms, now famine. Do you think that it's time for somebody to become a gap filler and to remember the people that have been so misled by the blind and have just hobbled along together? God wants to change society. God wants to change America. God wants to change the holiness movement. God wants to let his spirit fall again. God wants to do something again. But God is looking for a gap filler. God is looking for somebody that will say, I'll run. I'll do my best to take the word of the Lord. Do it in the Spirit of God and try to help them understand that God loves them but God's displeased. Look to the Lamb of God. Our atonement is sufficient. We don't need anybody running around trying to make a sacrifice. All we need to do is find the altar of the Lord there. We can find And we stay the judgment of God. Judgment's coming. It's later than you think. You may not get to graduate Friday night. It's later than you think. You may not get married this summer. It's later than you think. You may not get to retire. It's later than you think. You may not see those grandchildren raised. It's later than you think. God is asking every one of us, are you willing to remember like Aaron and Moses did? Those that have such need as God is waiting to pour wrath and judgment. And it's coming. It's coming. But can he find somebody that's willing to stay in the gap and say, God, count on me. I'm not going to be one of the playboys of this century. I'm not going to be one so caught up in the whirlwind of time that everything takes preeminence. But God, help my spirit be so grieved with what's going on that you'll find me between the dead and the living it's later than you think
0: let's stand